गुड मॉर्निंग गुड इवनिंग एवरी वन दिस इज अभिनव अग्रवाल और क्यूरेटर ऑफ द इंडिक बुक क्लब एंड आई एम अगेन एज यूजल डिलाइटेड टू वेलकम यू दिस संडे टू द इंडिक बुक क्लब ओपन हाउस विद ओटिस एंड मोस्ट ऑफ यू आर एंड हैव बीन अटेंडिंग दिस फॉर अ लॉन्ग टाइम सो यू नो हाउ दिस गोज बट you send in your writing pieces uh, you want to improve your writing you want to get feedback on your writing uh, learn and hear about good and best practices on writing you send in your writing pieces to otis the link and the and the page that describes and has the details including the email is uh, is on indicacademy.org website uh in summary you send the 750 800 word piece uh, uh, as a pdf document and uh, uh double space so that there is enough uh, you know space to read and to annotate and for otis to send you know uh, put his feedback he sends it to you and this session which is roughly 90 minutes in duration otis spends uh, that time going through the pieces you can ask him questions so you can ask him general questions on on uh, reading uh, sorry writing and actually even reading for that matter and i and otis tells me that we have four pieces today so it should be a good uh, you know a uh, good productive session as always and with that i will turn it over to you okay uh thank you i uh you know i thought later to last week i was like okay if you're here you you need to you know the the chance to hand something in i just want to i i always i got to walk things back it is completely fine to uh participate and come every week and and write on your own and not be ready to hand something in to to be looked at by everyone everyone just everyone comes to things in their own time so there's no right way and wrong way and i don't want to you know putting putting undue pressure on anyone but positively i said that and i did get a couple works so you know i'm getting mixed messages about what the best way is um Ashvani we we got some work from you let's look at it i thought it was really intriguing um can you can you tell us a little bit about it well uh i keep jotting down these uh, ideas that i get about stories uh, mostly you know they touch some they touch some uh, page of my life and then from that one small incident it becomes a story in my mind uh, but to put it down into 750 or 800 words uh, is you know sort of a bit contrived if you if this was a steak uh, you can imagine this is about rare or medium rare while what i would like is actually well done which would go to about 3000 to 4000 words for this story so uh, that is a bit of a constraint uh, to put it down into 800 words because the evolution of that character did not actually come across the way i would put it if i had the luxury and the indulgence of 3000 words but otherwise the story is uh, uh, you know a small incident in the past which i remembered and which i have just you know i keep making my notes uh, to write about so when i need to write a story i just look at all those notes and see which one is you know sort of right uh, easy um low hanging okay luck can put it to 800 words roots <laughs> <laughs> okay um um yeah so i think 
I think one way to think of our stories, I, I want to get you to tell us a little summary of this story too, since not everyone read it. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying about the 750 words. What's useful here is that like in a sense, the 50 words might be thought of as a summary of the story. And you are basically capturing the story arc from A to B, even though clearly you're rushing through a lot of it, right? So, and there are techniques, you know, that, that you'll learn to, to handle longer spaces of time in summary so that they're still evocative. That's a, that's a writing skill that, that will develop. So, so basically I'm not, I'm saying that for one, maybe it is 750 words. I mean, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the old, um, this is a famous, you know, had written a letter to a friend and, you know, and at the end they said, I'm sorry, this letter is so long, but I didn't have time to make it shorter. <laughs> right. So there's different skills, uh, you know, um, but, uh, but it's still, what we hear is still a sketch. And I think we'll talk to, talk about today will help you I mean and and you're saying a little bit that this is an experience that you've had which I really am glad that you're writing about something you know that's that's personal because as they say write what you know and well on the one hand people say write what you know but on the other hand Oscar Wilde says only the shallow know themselves so <laughs> So we have some problems, you know, figuring out what we know and what we don't know. But, but we'll put that aside anyway. We're, we're maybe a little bit closer to knowing something of our own experience. Um, but I think that I think we'll talk about some things today, which will, as, as a writer, have you go back and one, not really write your memory of a story, but to write a story. That's that's you know living in the present because that's what we're after. We're not we're not after writing memories. Our memories are very fallible. Memories are filled with our own bias, right? How could it be otherwise? And that means that we have that filter on it. So so I think that th this length is good. I will give you some feedback, and I hope that you will bring that back to this and develop it more. So I think that would be great. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the plot of this story? Uh, I spent a year in the UK and uh, I found, you know, uh, something which I had not expected that the Indians and the Pakistanis living in UK are extremely friendly. It's almost as if the two were not inimical nations at all. We used to meet each other. We um, you know, there was no feeling of anybody. Anyway, so the story is uh, because once I uh, got a cab from the local station to go to my place and that chap was a Pakistani. And then I found that uh, he was such a pleasant guy to talk to that every time I needed a cab, I would call him. So that is the actual page from my life, which I put into this story. But like you said, you know, there's no point in writing something just narrating something which has happened to you a lot of the rest of it is just imagination 
which I wove into the story, like you said, what Oscar Wilde wants. That, you know, so the rest of it is all story. The characters take life from what was real life. And then the rest of the story is just uh, uh, built up on to show that in the initial part of the story, the protagonist is very, very, uh, you know, antipathic towards anybody who is from Pakistan, he himself being from India. But when a Pakistani cabbie stops to help him, when nobody else is stopping, then his attitude, you know, it takes off from there and starts changing. And by the end of the story, he is actually, uh, you know, turned absolutely 100, uh, 180 degrees around. And now he's so friendly to the Pakistani that when he's leaving, it's actually an emotional moment. And, you know, both of them express the feeling that we wish we, wish we could meet again. And the fact that he's turned 180 degrees around is epitomized by the fact that when he says, I hope we meet again in the future, and the Pakistani cabbie says, Inshallah, the then this chap also spontaneously responds by saying, Inshallah. And that is the end of the story. Right. I, I think that that on the arc of this one character, I think is is really great. And, and that's a nice that's nicely mirrored with your photograph too. this first paragraph. I might cut some of the words of it, Ashwani. But you know, bell clanged in Anil's head as the car lurched suddenly. The noise of the engine faded away and the accelerator pedal refused insubordinately to respond to his feet. Maybe a few adverbs in there I might cut down, but uh, sitting bolt upright now and keeping one eye on the rearview mirror, he steered the powerless car to the left. Uh, once safe road and stopped, he heaved a sigh of relief and thanked Lord Shiva. I think it's wonderful. I mean, I, you you characterize him so quickly and wonderfully in this uh, first paragraph. And then we see that, you know, thanks Lord Shiva and then Inshallah, you know, comes later. So we see that those two things mirror each other and cover the arc in a sense. Um, and he, he reconciles that with himself too, that he has his belief systems and he still uh, responds to his friend uh, in his context. I think that that is great. I actually have quite a simple, but quite a simple thing about this piece as it's developing right now. So remember how I said that a, uh, a story requires e-courses of protagonist and antagonist? So this is just sort of the way I, I think about stories a little bit. I'm like, hmm, okay, well, it you know, all of this worked pretty easily in a sense, right? So, you know, we have our, our protagonists. He has some prejudices against Pakistani people. He meets the cab driver. The cab driver is basically wholly good, right? He's just a really good person. And, and it arcs so that finally in the end, the protagonist accepts the human, you know, gets over some of his bias and connects in a human way with this cat, right, agonist piece. So in my way of thinking, it's not an equal struggle. The, the, the cab driver 
is much more powerful in a sense than the protagonist. The protagonist comes in with faults, right? And the cab driver sense has none. So that the, that the cab driver should be victorious at the end is a foregone conclusion. So to me, like that little, whatever this idea I have, when we take that back and we say, well, the, the issue is not the story, right? Because we don't have a story in which the protagonist wholly, let's say, in this case, prejudice and wrong, and the cab driver is wholly good. That's not true of life. That's not true of life. So we come back to try and figure out, well, can we get deeper with both characters so that they're antagonists? They're both more human and more balanced, right? Right now, we're only getting one view of the protagonist and we're only getting one view of the antagonist. But, but neither of those are actually particularly human because we're more complex than that. So what I would like, so yeah, so that's that's sort of my my little my little pushback on this story is to figure out how to get a complex humanity on the page from both of these characters so that they're equal and never going back and and we're arcing. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's that sort of that sort of says it. I mean, I think that, and I think that this story sort of illustrates that nicely. It il illustrates the concept nicely that if you know the if the struggle is basically easy or guided, it isn't exactly that sort of dynamic struggle that we're looking for. We're looking to get someplace deeper, and I think that you can get someplace deeper. I think you might feel some from the length and all of and all of that. So maybe that takes some reconfiguring. Maybe you're only going to write one scene next time. But but I think the the place to go is to try and get to a deeper, more complex humanity from both characters. And then I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I I look forward to it. And I think I think your whole context is interesting too because you take um, you take these two characters and you put them in the UK where they, they're not vying for territory, right? You know, in the, in the homeland, they're not vying for territories anymore. And there's not that physical presence. They're both dislocated, right? In the UK. And that, that binds them in a way. I'd be kind of interested to see if you took this in a fictional realm, if they did meet back, you know, in India what that would be like, if it would then return to a kind of split. But, um, but that's for further consideration. But this is my main comment, is to think about that equality protagonist and antagonist. So in a way, if we think of the protagonist as being, he's right now he's bigoted, let's say, but we wanna to get to a more complex him than just being bigoted. And probably with the Pakistani cab driver, we want to get to a more complex place with him than him just being good, you know, and um, 
just being good in a sense. Like we might even look at why is he being good? What is the purpose of that goodness? Um, what is the purpose of his stopping? You know, is it, is it all simply benevolence or is it something that feeds him as well, maybe even his ego, so that he thinks himself as a good person, right? And in a sense, when people think of themselves as doing good so that they're a good person, that also means that they're above other people who do not do good acts, right? So it's, a, it's an issue of status that's more complex. Anyway, th those would be my couple of suggestions, but I, I really like the subject. Uh, I think it's a very intense subject and, uh, and I hope that you pursue this story. Can I ask a question? Uh, do yeah. I take this as a takeaway that uh, between the protagonist and the antagonist, the protagonist must always be shown to be superior to the antagonist in some way or the other. No, no, it's not. It's not that the protagonist is superior. We want to put equal force onto we. The only thing that with the protagonist is that we see this through the protagonist's eyes. That's the only thing that has. That's the only issue with the protagonist, and the protagonist is the one empathize with and we therefore go through the journey with them they're sort of the they're the vehicle for our experience um we want to show the complexity of so in the in the point of view character for one right now you're not really showing this character's complexity you're showing his bigotedness yes and his sort of close but you're knowing you're not the why of that. You're not giving a. You're you're not giving us a broader view of the protagonist. So I just want that protagonist to be more complex. Right now he's just. Good. I mean, sorry. Right now the protagonist is sort of bad. The cab driver is good, and that's that's not an equal struggle. It's bad, and that's a sort of foregone conclusion. We want more complex from the protagonist. And we want more complex from the antagonist. So like, for example, um, you know, I actually really like that um, when, when your protagonist gets into the cab and sees the Pakistani flag, he's very quiet and, you know, just kind of, you know, clutches up, right? But there's no effect really on the cab driver, right? The cab driver would notice that, but the cab driver really just remains consistently good and doing good things, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that that really reflects reality. I think the reality, the cab driver, now we don't, we don't have this interior view, but it's just like, it's probably like, you know, I do good things. I, I've made a, made a commitment self to do good things and I have to even do good things for this jerk. Right. You know, like it's a little bit more complex. I mean, he's going to be like, oh, my God, another, you know, bigoted Indian who I have to drive around. Uh, oh, well, this is just what I so not in his mind. We have to figure out a way for understand that complexity of emotion.
he's not going to be he's he's not going to be affected by the animosity of the person car is going to be affected by it so you, we want to show that and that makes him a more complex human being then so that's the base when they first meet then as they get to know each other we're going to see that we're going to see both animosity we see them going back and forth uh it's going to be more of a dynamic relationship than what's happening right now what happens right now is we have the person come in and we only in his bigot perspective this person's only good and we basically just go like that we're just moving in one direction it's not actually going back and forth it's not actually even antagonistic in a sense that makes that makes sense i've got my answer thank you thank you yeah so i would i would just try and dig into this i would love to the way i would approach it is to try and develop some some more scenes um i will a story is also sometimes about what 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 happens and it's also a little bit about what doesn't happen. so like even though uh, our protagonist calls up this cab driver and, and you know consistently throughout this throughout this duration of time note that i don't think they go out to dinner together uh they don't meet each families uh there's that does not happen between them in terms of them uh meeting they have a relationship that's based on money and trans it's a transactional relationship so so there's more going on than just from separated to ah here we understand in fact there's a lot of dynamics there too you know our protagonist might say you know maybe i could invite him to dinner and it's like no you can't do that and then we see, i don't know there's a lot of places to go there i don't want to i don't want to wax poetic about it but we see that there's more divisions between people than um than we sometimes think right and one of the divisions between people is this actual relationship that we have with people too right about money etc status again so so i think all of those i suggesting a little bit like since we're in the view character of this since we're in the point of view of our protagonist that we may see some of these struggles to achieve a greater sense of humanity but also feel the, um feel how that's forbidden because it is forbidden and they don't have a deeper relationship they only have a relationship as passenger and driver really anyway i i would like to see much more of that there's a lot of dynamics going and where you go so very right is you do pick characters in the beginning who are essentially diametrically opposed we want to see some of that diametrization in a more complex way it's a it's a great shvani and i always enjoy reading your work thank you otis thank you for your kind words thank you um let's see um uh ram let's talk about uh your work 
Otis, we can't see your screen. Oh, what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I wish you'd told me that much earlier. So I'm just listening to the fire truck and seeing if it's going to stop outside my house. Okay, it's passed by. Um, Ram, uh, tell us a little bit about this work. Yeah, so uh, this is a story that uh, is based on, uh, to some extent, an incident that happened with me. Uh, once I had taken a cab, I had to go back and forth between the airport. It was a four-hour kind of a drive uh, that I spent in the cab. And I got chatting with the cabbie. And he told me about his childhood. And this is, so... This is Ram. This is from the. This is in the voice of the cab driver. Ram, you. I think you froze. Hello. Yeah. So what I have tried to do is uh, uh, when I was writing, I sometimes felt that yes, there is. We normally feel that good language is necessary, and I am also or somebody who subscribes to that. Uh, that uh, the language needs to be good. So then I thought that why not try and uh, uh, separate out the language and the story to see if a good story can stand on its own without good language. So I tried a very very different uh, voice in this to see how the effect would be. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, you know, I think it's it's interesting. This week we have four pieces. Uh, Rashma has a piece, Madhavi has a piece, you have this piece, and Ashwani's piece. And what's interesting, we we don't usually have this. We usually are, we we kind of sometimes have a central issue that we can kind of apply a number of pieces. But in this case, Ashwani's piece, to me, really points out this of protagonist and antagonist being equal. Rashma's piece, you know, I, she forwarded this a little bit. It's a little bit idea-driven. So we're going to talk about ideas a little bit. And your, your piece is very much about voice, and we're going to talk about voice. And Madhavi, um, we're going to talk about character action again, because Madhavi will we'll talk about how it goes into backstory. But we, if you remember Madhavi's work, we, we continue to have this issue of this um, queen or princess. And you know what is she going to do? Right? What does she do? Because action of character is the is the driver of story. That's the that's the line that we're following. So it's kind of interesting that we really have like four things that we're going to look at. And Ram, your piece that able to say your piece is really about voice. Um, so I uh, I'm not sure if I've said this in this workshop, but voice is a very intoxicating drug. <laughs> us as writers um if we i mean i think it's one of the things that i don't know if it's necessary to being a writer but like we love to hear the the music of language and we appreciate the music of language no matter what that music is and like you say you have this sort of formal vision about good language and not good language and i would like to throw that out the window first of all so there's no good language and not good language. Um, there's language that evokes and moves the audience and language that fails to do that. And certainly good language and academic language often fail in that regard, whereas other language very much succeeds. 
So there's no, you know, language is just sounds that go off in our brain, right? Silently. So I, when I read this, I really do like the language. I think that you have, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is a, is this, is this like a, would you consider this a translation into English? So is it like from, yeah. So this is, is it a translation in your mind? So this is uh, the voice that I have used is of somebody who is not familiar with uh, English. He knows only a few uh, words, etc. And uh, he thinks in Hindi and uh, what he thinks in Hindi, he's doing a literal translation, including the idiom and the syntax from Hindi directly into English. So somebody who's familiar with Hindi, they will probably be uh, able to appreciate when they read this that, okay, this is exactly how somebody who would speak in Hindi. Okay. Okay. I, I think that that is great. I'm def I am definitely getting a sense that the, that the voice that you're creating here is consistent. So I feel like I'm going into a consciousness and I basically understand what's being expressed. Okay. Um, I, I think it's a very unusual voice, a voice that I have not heard or read in, in literature before. <clears throat> so I really like it. My comment is going to be fairly simple, though. A little bit like Ashwani's. I'm going to, I'm going to my boiler, my boilerplate right. uh, advice. Even though the voice is good, we still have the issue of shell. Of course, yeah. So even though it's a very intriguing voice, I think it's an exceptionally intriguing voice. But can you get this voice to show us things? rather than tell us things right. because there's an absence no matter what it like this piece got me thinking in a sense it doesn't matter who is telling when when we have a voice that tells basically the whatever it is that's being conveyed is dependent on what we can call authority <clears throat> aristotle breaks up rhetoric into three categories, those pathos and logos. Ethos being the authority of the author, pathos being emotion, and logos being logic. I sometimes logic as being the, the sequence of events. So as it is a sequence of events, I think of that as being the logical movement of a story. Pathos obviously is, are the emotions that we can evoke through our sympathetic response towards others. Um, ethos is this authority when we when we tell no matter what voice it is when we tell we're depending only on ethos right. we're depending only on the authority mm. and so either I accept the authority or don't but but it doesn't matter whether I accept it or don't the issue for me is I do not have an emotional experience. Well, I don't have a logically emotional experience. So I, I go back to this maxim of mine. The reader does not read to read about an experience. They read to have an experience. Yeah. Having an experience is emotional. Having an experience goes along with that, you know, that flow I was talking about the other day between the A and the B story or the emotional roller coaster. 
but basically it's that feeling of having transitions in emotion. Mm. Those transitions in emotion can only occur when the reader has a sympathetic connection to the character. Sympathetic connection means that my body, my, my central nervous system, my, um, my sympathetic nervous system is essentially attached to the body of the character that's the vehicle for the experience. So that when something happens to them, like they're going into the bank and trying to get the money, and I'm worried about whether they're going to succeed, I feel it. That's the level that is lost when we just tell. Because we'll see that when we just tell, oh, this is going to be good. When we just tell, there's no body there. There's no body. Sympathetic response is a response to the body, the physical body of the character that's in the piece concrete in action. Will they succeed? Will they not? A voice is just in my head. Nothing to connect to sympathetically. So all I'm yeah. left with is just being told. Yeah. No, the story is completely done. There's a little show maybe, but it's mostly done. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So I was focusing yeah. more on the voice, but, so I, I ignored the, the show part of it. I'll have to rewrite this. But yes, that's a very valid point. Right. But this is and so this is this is what gets to like why why voice is so intoxicating to us because we just get we just get drunk on it. We love it. Yeah. I, we, we just love it. I'm like, oh the voice, the voice is in my head, you know. And, and we can just forget about all those other problems of having the body character and concrete and being dramatic circumstance. Forget all that. Suddenly it seems everything is easy and good. <laughs> it's, it really, uh, it's amazing. I, I, uh, uh, we, we do love voices. So now you have the voice. I think the voice is very, very intriguing. Now tell a story with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, I'll do that. I'll do that. But 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 I hope I hope that what you what you've seen actually is the I mean the experiment that you that you went through. You basically you you gave yourself a task, and I think that's a great learning experience to recognize that you have this bias about language. Mm -hmm. right? And you challenge that about language, and you produce this. And so I think here, actually, probably, probably more than maybe more academically trained language, right? Here, you have a voice that's capable of poetry. This is a very, very interesting voice, because for it's new. It's new. And it and it have ways of expressing things, I'm going to know but it's also going to be a fresh slant on that, on these things that I know. Right. I'm going to be seeing it from deeply within a perspective. So I think it's a really, I think it's a great experiment. It was very challenging because, because I had to make sure that, uh, like you said, the consistency of the voice had to be maintained without losing the meaning. 
because it's already difficult to translate a thought from one language to the other. So here I was trying to retain the syntactic structure and the idiomatic structure of that language in a different language, make sure the audience does not get confused. So it was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> Well, that's that's a very that's very high level uh, intellectual work, you know, that I I'm personally not love. But I, I think you you achieve because I do feel that this is very consistent, right? Uh, and I think that you did it well. Now, now to employ it in storytelling would be, yeah. you know, a, a tremendous effect. Yeah, and use other things. Yeah. The thing about voice is, so this is a, this is a thing I, I think secretly about humanity. We always do what's easiest. <laughs> so like, I, I definitely wrote, I wrote a lot of pieces that were just like, I was just exploring voices. I mean, right. you know, I believe it or not, I was a very quiet child. You know, I kept my mouth shut because like everything I said was wrong. But I found that if I use voices, I could speak. So I love doing that and it was easy for me to do it. Getting mm -hmm. dynamic, dramatic action on the page in a concrete way is very difficult working with characters. It is, what, what's difficult about it is making that imaginative leap into another character and being them in action. That's difficult yeah. for some of us. Some of us have any trouble with it. Elmer Leonard, no, doesn't have any, but some of us do. Um, anyway, I think it's a, I think it's great work. I did love the voice. Thank you. Thank you very much. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Rashma, let's talk about your work. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so this is like, it's like really, I think there's a lag, I can hear myself. So uh, I would say that this is just a step forward. I don't even know if this is going to be a play or a screenplay, or, or is it going to be a digital theater work? Because you know how it is, you, we can't really go out and even shoot these days. And we've been in lockdown and uh, the theaters are not going to open up anytime soon. And even if they do, we'll not have audience coming in. So I'm just trying to just create this structure, which could become any, anything later on, uh, depending on how the team feels, you know, perhaps take it to somebody who's going to direct it or uh, even actors and see how we feel about it. So basically this idea just came to me. I was, uh, it, it wrote on another play. I was writing another play, which was more fun, which I had uh, even mafia and chase and all <laughs> And then the second wave uh, hit India and it was kind of uh, just chaos. Uh, I couldn't write anymore the, and then that, play just stopped happening. And when I sat down to write that play, this emerged uh, from whatever consciousness. And I'm just in the woods with it. I'm let, I'm kind of not planning it. I'm going with the flow. I'm just trying to 
because there's some bigger ideas here which i have in mind just things like that uh, you know civilizational fall that has happened and that i feel that uh, yeah. we as human beings can no longer sing that song of eternity and it's kind of now only to the birds uh, and you know other beings to sing that song and uh, i have certain images i have these images of rukmini playing a violin and classical but uh, so this is just you know how it's emerging so i have some flashes in my mind of images and uh, these ideas so you know uh, that's what i am but i thought since you know you kind of urged us to submit so i thought let me just be brave it's very raw and it's mostly in my mind right now uh, so that's where yeah. i yes well, I think it's a it's manifestation, you know, of what's in your mind, and I can see some creative process. I really, um, I, I I like how you're pulling things in from all over um, and drawing them into this uh, this frame. I think it's it's great. It makes me. I do. Do you are you engaged in production, and do you have uh attachments to production companies yeah uh no, no i don't have not for tv production but i have a theater group and i'm a actress so i would kind of at some point they would come in and we'll just have a reading or a couple of readings and we won't meet physically but perhaps in a zoom and uh then we'll see do you have merging yeah do you have um do you have tech tech people that can you know uh do you have film people just i don't have film people i have one tech guy who's uh, good with sounds and light and uh, i know some people who are connected to film people so i really do so i don't have the screenplay writing ability in that sense but i'm i'm just because i see i'm just putting it the way i'm seeing it right now and yeah. I can pick up a plate, people standing on the stage and, you know, like I've done work with that format and it works pretty well with just three people on stage who never leave the stage and, you know, lights come and then the stories will merge. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. I have a friend who just sent me something about uh, video poetry. Okay. Um, because you're drawing upon so many different things here it it has um it has a little bit of that feel i don't i, I haven't looked into it and i i've i've made a couple of videos too i i like it's just different processes like i'm not i'm not wed just to writing that's not the only way we want to try and make something manifest here you obviously you have so much skill and able to construct these uh these documents which being able to get them first rather than shoot them first from my experience like when i work in when i work in video i tend to shoot first and ask questions later you know <laughs> so, so like i organize all that film in a sense i i have it's over i redo the do it all at once and then i have to redo it all it's very time consuming yeah. obviously writing it basically takes care of some of that time issue that's what we're doing when we write. It's very easy to work with, hard to work with video equipment 
and uh, actors and locations and all of that stuff. So that's time consuming. This is not as time consuming. But I think that this is a, a great start of these sort of, you know, the images and ideas that are coming and you're collecting them. I, I really like it. I, um, I don't know how long you were going and you already anticipated this in your email. I mean, I just write at the end. I, I mean, I think, you know, the issues are going to come to you. I mean, if we look at the count, obviously that's a long, that's a long dialogue. It's a speech. Um, is that going to be dynamic enough if it's a play? I'm not sure. But if it's but if it's really imagistic, I mean, I don't know how you're going to construct it. What are the, what are the dynamic things that are going to be involved in, um, let's say, shooting that if you shot that as a video? We always want to think about our dynamics because we need to keep it interesting and varied. We want that those contrasts and conflicts, and we and but we don't want them to be so many that it becomes confusing for the for the audience. But we want something to make it uh, sort of acutely interesting and engaging. We don't want to either the, the two poles. We always want to be aware of the two poles. We don't want to bore, and we don't want to confuse. So we have to have a spot in the middle of that. Uh, and then I just mark at the end, you know, back to Rachmani, and I'm not sure that I've here, but I don't know where you're taking this necessarily. I don't know that it's fully developed. Um, we, we get someplace that I'm not really prepared to understand, right. you know, as e either intellectually or emotionally. So that's just, but that's. We, we like two and know, a half minutes I, the whatever. <clears throat> whatever. Yeah, so like one one thing I um if it's a video very short. So this was advice. Remember, did I tell you the story about my mentor who said I would have rather cut off both my hands at the wrist and write this paragraph? He also said he gave me this very good advice. He gave everyone this advice. I'm not sure if everyone took it. Begin in, begin in action, the media race, end lyrically. So when we think of end lyrically, if we think of uh, going back to Cherry Orchard, whatever we might think of that, it essentially ends lyrically. It ends with the addition of the family. It ends with the sound of the chopping of the trees. So, that might be something to think about with Rachmani in her last moment. I mean, when you just talked about it again about the burn eternity. Right. If right. I were shooting, if I were shooting it as video, I'd probably come back to that myself. You know, I would want to, you know, the, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I might want, if there's birds, I might want to try and get closer and closer and closer to them. You know, or something, I don't know. That, that's visual. Right. You, you, I mean, you understand the issues. I mean, when we, when we translate, when we translate from the play, and now obviously plays have been doing more of this too. They have video, they have these others that are involved in their set. So they're creating these visual tableaus for, mm -hmm. the, for the viewer. When we go to themselves, we have even more control over that visual. Right. 
It might mean, and, and video, I mean, it's another, if, <laughs> I don't want to try and figure out how it was it is, but like the play might still be quite dialogue heavy, right? Because of its, because of the medium. But right. once we go to video, I think it's going to be leaning more heavily on image, but it is also a language. It's mm -hmm. all a language. I don't have any problem with, I mean, going down, it doesn't matter what the voice is. It doesn't matter. It's all language. Right. So, so maybe that's something to think about. And, and that might depend a little bit on how you're thinking about the production. Right. But I think that this is interesting. I think that, I, I think that what you're saying, what you end up saying about gain of function is gain and loss of function, right? But I, I was also struck by this issue of gain of function. I, I was a little bit familiar with it already too, because I worked with a writer who wrote what I think is quite a good book about ticks. And so she basically puts forward that ticks were used as a kind of bioweapon and they gave them a gain of function. Right. And their purpose was to transmit disease to the human population. So when coronavirus happened, I already had this little knowledge about bioweaponry, you know, and, and, and this knowledge about gain of function. And I feel the echoes in the coronavirus. And I think that's whether, whether it's purposeful or not is not really our point. The, the issue is that these, these organisms do gain function and we don't gain function as quickly. And poem about this, I'm very, a number of years back, I wrote a poem about um, essentially viruses because they mutate far faster than we do. So there's, uh, there's a movie in the US, you might know it, a Western called The Dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's, there's the quick and the dead. So um, they mutate faster than we do. Um, but I think the thing that you're saying that does, that's most potent is actually the, the transition of consciousness, right? That, that it sort of strikes everyone, the, the, the notion of eternity for human beings comes into focus in a way that's pretty stark. So I think that that's a very powerful transition that you're trying to, you know, capture. So I think it's great. I would, I would love to figure out how to get you involved with production companies so you could start shooting some and see what these images turn into. And you could work with that as part of your medium also. And see what, what I find with video is that, because I don't have skills in terms of that, my vision and my and when be produced are <clears throat> different there's a translation between that but but it's the same with everything i mean i i think i you know when we write and i've thought about this you know before we actually start writing we have this platonic ideal of what our story is but then we translate it into words and we find the you know the difficulty of now having shadows on the wall it's not our platonic ideal anymore. So we always have these problems. 
we always have to work with the reality of what we're capable of. Right. But I would, I would definitely, I would definitely like to see um, working with a production company and, and shooting some of these shots. Okay. You know, I would like to see what they look like. Right. Right. I wanted also to kind of, uh, you've seen Fleabag. It was initially written as a play. I've read the script of the play. Fleabag is, uh, it was on, on Netflix. And... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a whole long monologue that plays like one hour to two hours and she just engages the audience with her act uh, and storytelling. So... Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how I know it works. I don't know how I know it works. So if we have longer more, uh, you know, when you have, I don't know how it is. Videos with the tech people or what with the lines, uh, or maybe we just edit out the lines. Yeah. So it's it's going to evolve for all the. So, uh, the, all these characters have a journey to take. Uh, but the art. Well, I, I would look. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. You're you're cutting in and out a little bit. But um, in regard to Fleabag, I haven't I haven't read the play, but I would be interested in reading it. What I would look for if I were reading it was how do they, going back to what Ram is Ram's work, right? where we just have voice, but it's still just telling. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't draw us in imaginatively because it doesn't have the concrete characters in action. It doesn't matter who's really delivering the language. That's a narrator. But the language itself that we end up getting does matter. Is it abstract? If it's abstract, we don't connect to it. But we might connect to the character who's telling us the abstraction. Yeah. If it's just a person narrating, in a sense, I mean, if it's just a person narrating, then, then we might not attach to that. So there's a difference when we look at, let's say, in, like, there's a woman standing there as things, sometimes abstractions. And I, I love Fleabag, you know, the little bit that I saw, I love how she breaks the, the fourth wall and okay. creates a tension. I didn't, I didn't follow the whole series through. I think that 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 adds something, you know, it adds something about the nature of the reality that we're dealing with. It adds something about the, the, the mental landscape of our character. Um, it's, you know, it's fascinating. But anyway, I would love to see, I would love to see that play and see how, how the playwright handles that. These are things that we always have to keep in mind. If you're, um, you know, if you're a chemist, What I like about your monologue is that there's a lot of concrete words in there. So like even that matters, concrete words versus abstract words. Right. Uh, we, we always want things that are gonna ground us and basically for the audience evocative of something. And then we, we try and create something, whatever we're evoking, that ends up being patterned in a certain way. That's what we're basically doing with language. So we evoke something with this word, this word, this word, this word, and then we create a pattern out of that that leads somewhere. That's, it's always poetry in motion. 
po to say poetry in motion is redundant. Poetry is motion, it seems to me. And it's moving that sort of emotional consciousness direction to achieve some certain effect. And then we change that emotional direction in the next scene. Right. Um, but, but these are things that you would work out. If you shot them, you would say, you know, shot the, the chemist scene, for example, you might say, oh, well, it's falling here. You know, I'm, I, I'm listening to it, but I'm, I'm not engaged. I, it, it falls or I'm confused or I, I'm thinking about going home and, you know, I'm thinking about going and getting some popcorn. We, we, we begin to notice and then we adjust in a different way to work. Right, right. I get what you mean. So, so maybe kind of if when I've reached a substantial length of the work, I, I could call in the actors and uh, we could just do a Zoom recording of the thing and uh, get a tech guy and then, you know, see if we can incorporate some images into it and see what it's looking like. And if and then I go back and, and edit it and I don't know, shoot sometime in the future. Yeah. A proper, yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that that would be great. I mean, it's it's great to put it. You have to be a certain kind of person. I'm not really the kind of person, but if you're a, a social, <laughs> I like just being in my room and typing. But like, if you're a social person and you're good with working with others, which you have to be to produce a play, to produce a video, to do these various things, then uh, it's to to get everyone in on into the workshop and to and, it, and as you know, you're collaborating with them. You know, the, the person reading the part is like, I don't know what I'm reading. I don't even know why I'm reading it. Or maybe they're saying, you know, my mind is wearing while I'm reading this, you know, and you're like, okay, so that's not working. You know, let's make something, you yeah. know, where, where you're, where you're deeply engaged, where, you know, that make fun of this idea. Actor says, what's my motivation? We make fun of this in comedies. Sometimes the person is playing like a banana in a, in a, in a commercial and they're like i don't understand my motivation but that is central to the actions of character what is their motivation and um right for their for their actions for their dialogue why are they saying it why are they telling us this right and maybe if possible i'll record some of it and then share with you you know and that could be another Instead of a submission as a word file, I would love to see it. And I, I, I would love to be involved. I, I mean, I, well, that'd be great. That'd be maybe great. you get a part for me in there. Maybe there's a part for me. I'm, you know, maybe there's a part for Ashvani. I like Ashvani. I like Ashvani as the chemist. Casting. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can um, say auditions yeah we audition <laughs> i i love i love that idea i i think it would be i think would, i don't know I, I production like companies i so even though even though i'm scared of social situations i also i love the idea of collaborating with people uh i think that that's uh, right especially it's in powerful it's sort of like it's sort of like uh, yeah, I just thought I'd share. Yeah, in theater, uh, I did a piece which which we had uh, three central characters, and they they kind of um, their stories meet at a station platform. And uh, when we started workshopping it here uh, with actors, it just became 
we would know five hours would just go by and there's new dimensions that would be added to the characters and the kind of uh, learning as a writer to be part of that group uh, is what i feel yes yeah. so it's important to be part of that humbling experience and just giving away your work to others Oh, thank you, Rashma. Great, great work. I I see, you know, what I really like, you're, you're obviously, you know, you, you're so familiar with your medium, and you, you write well, and you're able to draw all of these divergent ideas together. Right. I don't know another way to work. I think that that's the best way to work, draw things in and then start seeing what happens, you right. know, figure out, you know, what it's, a, it's sort of like in art, right? What's your palette? Your palettes. And. Uh, right. Right. I'll do that. You know, you have the mute. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thanks. So much. Let's, um, let's talk about. Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk about Madhavi's work. Hi, Yogesh. Madhavi, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. <laughs> okay, um, can you um, tell us a little bit where we're at with this? Uh, sorry? And in case anyone is not is not up to date with the with the story, oh, okay. I, I think uh, that I am. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about uh, Queen Dushala here. Uh, on the day when uh, Arjun is about to uh, hunt and kill her husband in the battlefield. So what all emotions she goes through, what she does during the day is the crux of the story. Okay. And uh, so far we yeah. have learned that uh, she gets to know through a messenger that uh, such thing is going to happen and she's very upset about it. So now we are on to mm -hmm. the second part. Right. Yeah. And then, and then we go into, and then I think here you're dealing when, when it goes into the italics, really yeah, dealing with is, uh, uh, a backstory element. When I was writing it, I knew that I would have a red flag from your side. <laughs> but there are a few things, a few queries that I had in mind. So I anyways went ahead with writing this. Yeah. Good, 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 good. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you did. <laughs> My first question regarding this is um, what if past experiences derive the character action in present do they serve as a trigger and we need to mention them yeah so so uh, let me let me i i've been thinking about this you know i you know i, you know, I read it last night and then you know I slept and I trust my subconscious basically to do my difficult work. I, I woke up this morning and uh, I was making my coffee, you know, grind the coffee, empty mind, you know, just waiting for things to come in. And uh, it seems to me that the, dif the difficulty, as we've already expressed with this character, is that she's not doing anything. So like she gets this information. So this is, these are just ideas. I don't know what to do with them. Okay. 
she gets information, but the information doesn't lead her to do anything. It, it just means that she feels things. So I, I don't, you know, I've, I've, I've often, you know, particularly with like uh, characters who think and narrate, but, but this, is, this is me being a character who feels things. See, uh, we have antagonistic forces beyond her control. Okay, so uh, right. going by what you right. I get uh, mentioned last time, I have a story B in mind, like wants versus needs. So this is the story A that she has learned that something is going on there and she has no control over it. She doesn't want her husband dead and she doesn't want her uh, cousin to die either. Okay but that is beyond her control. Then there's again an underlying need of, uh, uh, what do you say, um, being accepted and, uh, and being respected by her family. So in this backstory, there is this reference to uh, like how Arjun changes her notions regarding respect. She used to think that respect is only given to the elders and the younger ones are not uh, entitled to be respected or to be uh, treated well. So he, he is the first person who treats her well. And from there stems mm -hmm. her love and affection towards her cousin. And despite having 100 brothers who are there to protect her husband in the battlefield also, she is still attached to Arjun. So doesn't that warrant a mention mm -hmm. somewhere? And how do we uh, present it on paper? Let me say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily know. I am a very simple, simple person. Sort of like, I want to get into the physicality of the character and I want to, so this is something that I've said for a long time and I, I use this as my base. So we have, we have Ernest Hemingway, obviously well-known American writer. And I, I, I haven't even really read Old Man in the Sea. I don't even know what it's about. But what I imagine it's about <laughs> is a boy and his father. Okay, so for Hemingway, he doesn't say, okay, I'm gonna have a boy and his father, you know, sit each other underneath a tree and talk. He has them on a boat fishing, right? He has them on a boat in the ocean with a storm coming and they're fishing for marlin. Why does he do that? He does that so that they can have something to do so that they can demonstrate themselves. The says, boy, you gotta fish or cut bait, you know, or whatever, some other cliche that we use nowadays. And the boy grabs the fish and the knife and he brings it up to the, the head and he pulls it away. He throws the fish overboard. I don't want, you know, whatever it is, we have able to do things then that are physical, that demonstrate who they are and demonstrate the issues at hand. So I'm just gonna take that and say, so in my simplicity, I just, I just want your character to have to do something. Like, so this is the way I was thinking. I was like, okay, so she's learned, basically, I don't wanna to be too complicated about this, but like her husband and Arjun, were already at war, right? They could have died anytime, right? I mean, they're at war. 
they could die. So she's already had to deal with the issue that they could die, or for some reason she felt like they couldn't die. That might be interesting. I don't know. But one of the issues is we've started this story here with this information, what has changed? Well, it seems to me what has changed is that the death of both of these characters is now inevitable, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's no, whereas before she might've, she might've been thinking that they might die. Now she thinks they will die. <laughs> you know, right? There's a difference. They might die and they will die. So if that's the trend to this point here, then what does she do? So I'm just going, so I, I, I have no sources and no texts, you know, because I know nothing, but we begin to, you know, prepare the funeral. I don't know. Like, are there funeral rites? Is there something? I'm just trying to get her to do something. I'm trying to arrange something. I also, like, she'd be like, my husband is going to die. I have to prepare. I have to do this. I have to do that. To get her to do actions is my number one thing because I want characters in action. And it's actually the force of antagonism is not this information. The force of antagonism is a physical dynamic interaction with something of you. So like, that's why I do my acting when I say, okay, this is me having emotions with something that's outside of my control. Nothing's happening. More is happening if I'm engaged with something else. This is my true antagonistic issue. I have to prepare the, the funeral rites, but um, the stepper of, you know, the king says, you're not worthy to do the, you know, do the funeral rites, right? So now that person is really the antagonist. Now, what am I going to do in relationship to that? I want the character to do things physically. That gives you, I'm just going to say you as the writer, just like Hemingway, when he puts the characters on the boat fishing, it gives you so much more to work. Because now you have, with, a second ago, we were talking uh, with Rashma about you know what the characters say in their dialogue and we were talking about this with Ram too you know if it's abstract words you know i felt uh, sad sad is abstract there's nothing but if i say i grabbed the urn hit uncle j the head that's tangible that was a joke sorry about the urn you know but we want to have concrete things happening we want the father to say, um, son, grab me the fishing pole and the pike, right? The son grabbed the pike to the father. The father said, do it faster next time. Out here, you can die in a heartbeat, right? So we want tangible things. It gives us something as writers to work with. And so... Um, I guess I'm going to, I want to share this story with you. So when I was at Stanford, 
I, I went there, um, a writer named Adam Johnson. Adam Johnson has gone on to, he wrote a great book of short stories. He wrote a book that won a Pulitzer Prize called The Orphan Master's Son, takes place in North Korea. The thing I learned from Adam that I won't, won't forget is that I'm competing with him for an audience. He will do everything to make his work. He'll put it in the most exotic location. He'll have the most interesting characters and he'll have them doing the most fascinating things, right? So if I'm gonna compete with Adam, I better choose to because I can't compete if I basically, you know, cut off my arms, <laughs> you know, right? If I cut off my hands at the wrist and I write characters in action, I don't stand a chance. So it behooves then to figure out what is the action. So, I mean, among other things, what is the location? You know, what is the setting? Make that setting fascinating. Character, make her fascinating. Get her to do things that are fascinating. Get her, uh, when we think about, when we think about our uh, protagonists and antagonists, I've said this for a long time, you know, I'm trying to really mean it. We want, these two are in conflict. We want them diametrically opposed. I want this, I want this. We don't want them kind of like that. They're not on a dance. They are diametrically opposed because that creates this effect from their interaction. Um, we, want, we want to use all our tools is what I'm saying. And we do not want to give any of them away because if we give any of them away, when we sit on the bus and we see someone with an open book in their hand, guess whose book it's gonna be? Adam Johnson's book. <laughs> and we do not want anybody to read Adam Johnson's. I'm going to tell him I said you, this to everyone. We do not want anyone to read his book. We want them to read our book. You have, you have a great character to bring her out. And we bring her out by discovering it is that she wants. Um, and I would definitely think about what can she do so that you can have the character doing things that concrete actions on the page and then often and ideally have some kind of dynamic on the page. Things that she tries to do, but she's not able to do because of the forces of antagonism. And then how much she wants to do them. We see the force of her character by the way that, so it's not, a story, I've said this before, a story is not about what a character wants. It's about what they're willing to do to get it. It's by us witnessing what they do that we can understand how much they want. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's why, that's why a story is about, that's why a story is about try and fail, try and fail. And actually going again to Rom's, Rom's work uh, about the character 
who stops eating and she, you know, she stops basically nourishing the child, you know, <laughs> within her. She's doing things. Once we recognize that it's not that she's not doing things, she is doing things. She's doing things to get what she wants. And so I think, so my, my feeling here with this character is we have to give her something to do. So, and to give her something to do means we also have to figure out what she wants. And then let's get her into action and see what happens. For me, I discover everything about characters once I see them in action. I know nothing about them when I see them not in action. Just the same way, like, let me, let me do my performance again. Just like if I was the character and I was, you'd know nothing about me, right? You already know so much more about me if you see me go like this. Any action tells you about me. No action doesn't. Um, so anyway, those were my thoughts as I was grinding my coffee this morning about your work. And I, I, I love this story and I love this character. And so I really want to urge you to take the step to give her some actions, even though I know, I, I think that you're resistant to do it because you don't know what those actions are and that you're going to have to invent. Sure. I'll come up with that in the next uh, session. Yeah, and and I think it's I think it's really interesting once you start thinking about um, the character. Like, let's say it was the funeral rites. Maybe she. Well, one thing I thought about your character is that you know she's she might be thinking that well her husband's going to die. Well, what's going to happen to her then? I I'm pretty sure I would think about that. Um, yeah. You tend to even though even though other people's deaths you know, obviously they affect us. We are also, we're just, we're really attached to ourselves and our own survival too. So that's probably gonna be somewhere. And then the other thing that's happening is that like you say, you know, is gonna die too because of this curse. And so what is her loss there? Her loss there is this sense of someone treating her with respect and now that's gone too. So I, I'm, I'm interested in what happens. You know, perhaps, you know, who knows? This is start to become inventive. If she starts preparing the, like, the funeral rites for her husband, maybe she starts to prepare the funeral rites for Arjun. Maybe she has to do that in secret because know it. I don't know. I, this is... But this is this is the convention that we want to engage in, or else the the sad to read Adam Johnson's book and not ours. So I'm actually I'm rereading Adam Johnson's book right now, and it is so good because I want to make sure that every good thing that he does in his I also do in my book. Um, but we'll get her into action then. Right, but I, but you're, but you are getting there. Like I even, so like it's not very much action, but in this, in this story here, right, you see her in the balcony, and you do a great. You see, she, her, her shadow is part inside, part outside, 
So that was a great detail. You, you, uh, you, you reached to have physical detail on the page and then you use that detail to trigger her thoughts. That's a great start, but you're still not giving yourself enough tools, right? Give yourself the tools. We cannot succeed without the tools. And, and one of those tools is having some characters to actually do, to try and accomplish. Bonnie and Clyde, what's the story of Bonnie and Clyde without them trying to rob a bank? Nothing. It's just a, two sad characters hanging out in a wheat field. Sorry, I'm being funny. It's my, it's my mechanism. Any question, anything? And that looks like a wrap for today. Uh, we went through four pieces, right? So I promise I will send my piece in the next day or two. So you have a time to go over it, Kutis and I. Should happen that I realize on Saturday evening or Sunday morning that, oops, I should have sent it. So these folks, you also, all of you who have uh, writing pieces, please send them. And I think as Otis had mentioned last uh, Sunday, that for those who are working on any of the two anthologies in progress that are being curated by uh, you know, Aditi and Shivu, if you want to, please do also send a, a 750-800 word excerpt from that piece uh, to this uh, for review and to go through in this session, by all means. And... Uh, We'll put this recording up on YouTube in a couple of days and if uh, and keep sending those pieces in and we'll talk to you in a week from now. Thank you, everyone, and good night. <laughs>